Welcome to Coach House Talks. So, um, as the names of the two books suggest, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, um, they are letters which were written by the Apostle Peter um, to churches that were primarily located in the area that we now call Turkey, um, although there were a few other places, but around that sort of area. And these letters were kind of copied and they were shared between the different churches throughout the areas. Um, you know, words that were written down by the apostles were considered quite important, so people shared them. And that's why we've still got the benefit of them today, because there are a lot of copies in place. Now, you might recall uh, last time when I spoke about uh, the first letter of Peter, um, I did open up by using quite a lot of words that began with the letter P. Well, the good news is I'm not going to do that this time, which I'm sure you're quite happy about. But there is going to be one word today that begins with P, and that's the word parousia. Okay? Well, okay, so if you know what that word means, that's great. But if you don't, don't worry about it. We'll find out a bit later on. So um, what we're going to do today is we're just going to have a brief look at Peter's life a little bit of a recap of what he'd written in the uh, first letter, um, a quick resume of what's different between the two, the main points of the letter, and then perhaps a practical application at the end. So let's start with a snapshot of some of the events of Peter's life. And what we need to remember at this point is these are the events that made him the person he was. Things that influenced his response to Jesus, both at the time that's when he met Jesus, and also later on towards the end of his life, we can see that these things were informing his response to the things that were happening at the time that he wrote the letters. So we've got a map up here of, of different places, and this is where, if I disappear off Zoom, don't panic. You can see the map because I think Morgan's flipped the screens for you. So um, down here at the bottom is what we now call Israel. This is where Peter was born. Um, he lived somewhere around here, uh, near the Lake of Galilee, which is um, strangely not shown on there, even though it's quite a large lake. Uh, the River Jordan flows into Galilee. The disciples um, kind of spread themselves this way. They headed up this way. And this is the area to which the letters were written. So you can see that that's now, this is all Turkey now. But Peter went further than that. Um, partly by boat, partly on foot, he disappeared off over here and over here and over here and ends up somewhere over there in Rome. I'll go through those countries again in a, in a bit, just to remind you of where they are, but just so you can see the amount of ground that he covered. And this is a huge area. You know, England is quite a poxy little place up on the corner there. This is a really big area, and he's writing a letter to as many churches as possible in that area. So, what about Peter's life then? Well, we first meet Peter in the Bible um, shortly after Jesus had been baptised in the River Jordan by John the Baptist. And at that time, uh, Peter wasn't actually called Peter. He was called Simon. His brother Andrew had been one of John the Baptist's disciples. And he was there and had seen what happened when Jesus came to be baptised. Andrew, having seen this, immediately went and got Simon, and he introduced him to Jesus. 
And on seeing Simon, Jesus declared that from now on, he'd actually be called Peter. So he just changed his name. Now, the important thing to note here is that both Simon and Andrew were fully expecting a Messiah to come. So if you're not sure what a Messiah is, a Messiah means rescuer. It's the person that the Jewish nation hoped would come and rescue them from their oppression. That these men, Andrew and Simon, weren't just simple fishermen. We sometimes portray them as just simple fishermen. Certainly they couldn't read, but they weren't simple because they knew what the Old Testament said. They had the knowledge of the Old Testament that allowed them to respond on the day that Jesus appeared. Just keep that in mind for a minute. Now, not surprisingly, or it is surprising actually, I'd say now surprisingly, can't even read my own writing, you see, even though it's typed. <laughs> this wasn't the point at which Peter became one of the 12 disciples. The Gospels tell us that Jesus went off and kept teaching and calling people to repent. And in the meantime, Andrew and Peter continued fishing on Lake Galilee. They just disappeared to go and do some fishing. And it was some time later that Jesus came by, by Lake Galilee, as recorded in Mark, uh, chapter 1, verse 17. And it was then that Jesus called Peter to follow him. Peter obeyed. And for the next three years, he followed Jesus wherever he went, noting the things that Jesus said or did. These things included miracles. He was listening to the words of Jesus. And in that time, he'd heard Jesus teach about the end times. And that is the time when Jesus will return. He'd heard Jesus' warnings about false teachers and of how Satan would try to deceive people. Peter was there when Jesus went up a mountain and was transformed. Peter heard at that time the audible words of God the Father saying, This is my dearly beloved Son who brings me great joy. Listen to him. Listen. It was Peter who was the most impulsive of the disciples, declaring that he would not let Jesus die. He even went to the lengths, didn't he, of chopping off the high priest's ear. The servant of the high priest chopped his ear off. That's impulsive, isn't it? And he also declared that he would never deny Jesus. And that's one thing that he lived to regret, because he broke that promise three times within a matter of hours of making it. After the crucifixion, Peter was one of the first disciples to reach the empty tomb. He could see it was empty, but this event left him unsure. He didn't know what had happened. So where did he go? Back to the fishing business. The fishing that he'd left three years earlier, and he was on his way back. A few days later, though, Jesus again came to Galilee. And this time he cooked a breakfast for Peter and a few others. And after breakfast, Jesus restored Peter. He told him three times, 
Look after the new believers. Take care of my sheep, is what Jesus said. Jesus also at that time told Peter how he would die. It isn't recorded exactly how, but the Bible tells us that he told him how. Later on in the book of Acts, we see that Peter was in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost as the Holy Spirit fell upon him. He boldly spoke about the kingdom of God and 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Peter went on to heal people just as Jesus had done. And then he had a vision that helped him understand that the good news was equally for everybody and not just the Jews. We see another incident later on, don't we, where Peter was miraculously rescued from prison. An angel came and opened the doors. Later, he travelled on to many places, Syria, Turkey, Greece, Italy, and finally ending up in Rome, from where these two letters were written. So if you think about Peter's life, before Pentecost... Peter had a tendency to waver. He was impulsive. He didn't stick to the task. And he wasn't really clear about what God, what God wanted from him. After Pentecost, he was resolute and determined. He preached the good news fearlessly and was unwavering in the things that Jesus had taught him. He used all of his experience and knowledge to carry out the job that Jesus had asked him to do. Take care of my sheep. Peter took this commission seriously and the two letters that we have preserved here in Scripture are representative of just how seriously he took the task. So that's Peter in a nutshell. Hopefully you'll be able to remember some of those things as others speak in the next few weeks because all those little details come into play. You have to know who somebody is, you have to know how they're thinking because it informs what we do. So, just to recap on the first letter then. In the first Peter, we saw that the believers to whom the letter was written were facing some form of persecution. In chapter 1, it says, There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is more precious than mere gold. We also saw Peter's confidence in the return of Jesus. Our salvation being of such importance and worth that we ought to make every effort to make sure that we hold on to it. Peter went on to provide advice on how to structure our lives in the church. This would be both as a witness to those who are not saved and also to strengthen us in our times of need. Peter understood just how easy it is to give in when things get difficult. Didn't we just see this when, Jesus, uh, when Peter denied Jesus? He said that he didn't know him. He'd never met him. What happened? He went back to fishing. He just melted away. In the fourth chapter of the, of the first epistle, Peter returned to the theme of standing firm in the face of suffering. He encouraged the believers by reminding them that the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. 
You know, th there were problems for the, for the believers, it's clear. But what we can see from this brief summary is that these problems were, broadly speaking, coming from outside the church. The problems faced by the early believers mostly came from people who felt that Christians represented some sort of threat to their way of life. Such people were willing to go to unpleasant lengths to make their point that Christians are not welcome here. We call this persecution, and it still happens to this day in most churches in most parts of the world. If you think about that for a moment, just think how fortunate and blessed we are here. So moving on to the second letter, we will see that the perspective changes. So the second letter is written about three years after the first, and how quickly things have changed. Much less are we talking about issues outside of the church, much more are we talking about issues inside the church? But one thing remains the same, and that is Peter's unyielding belief that the end of the world would come soon. Remember that summary of Peter's life that we read earlier. Well, some of those things are reflected in this second letter. In fact, it came to me even this morning that pretty much the whole letter is not really Peter, is it? It's either something Jesus said or something Jesus did. There's, there's nothing of Peter there. It's all about Jesus. Let me give you some examples of how that plays out. Chapter 1 and verse 16. We are not making up clever stories when we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We saw his majestic splendor with our own eyes when he received glory and honor from God the Father. The voice from the majestic glory of God said, This is my dearly beloved Son who brings me great joy. So we can see, can't we, that this verse is clearly referring to that time when Jesus went up the mountain and was transformed. Peter, James, and John went with him. They witnessed it. And Peter is referring to that here. Remember later on, Jesus cooked breakfast and he restored Peter and told him how he would die. So in chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, Our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me that I must soon leave this earthly life. In the second chapter, Peter talks about something that was coming into the church, false teaching. Peter knew what was happening, and he knew what Jesus had said. In the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, Jesus says, False prophets will rise up and perform signs and wonders, so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. Watch out. I have warned you about this ahead of time. Keep that phrase in your mind. Peter was watching out. Are you watching out? False teachers are all around us today. The clarity with, we, with which Peter saw this is stark. In chapter 1 he wrote, 
I will work hard to make sure you always remember these things after I am gone. Peter was about to die. We've just read that. But we knew, he knew, it was important that I had access to this information. He knew it was important that you have access to this information. That's why he wanted to write it down. He wasn't just writing a letter to these guys, who are not on that map because that's something else, but he was writing it to you and me. That's for us. It's for our benefit. He also writes here, there were false prophets in Israel, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will cleverly teach destructive heresies and even deny the master who bought them. That's Jesus. Remember, we've read it already, Peter had denied his master three times. He knew all too well how he had felt when he realised what he'd done. He knew that it was only by the grace of God that he'd been restored. He didn't want anybody else to have to go through such a painful experience. But he also knew that a mark of those who are deliberately setting out to deceive would be some form of denial of Jesus. In chapter uh, 2, again, verse 20, he writes, When people escape the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. It would be better if they had never known the way of righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were given to live a holy life. They prove the truth of this proverb. A dog returns to its vomit. I love that proverb. It's great for the Sunday school class because um, you can list several things and go, which one of these is not a proverb? And they always point to that, thinking that that can't possibly be in the Bible, but it is. So it's a great one. And you see the point here that we're kind of making. This is a bit of an obscure proverb, isn't it? And I'm sure most of you do know it, actually, but it's a little bit obscure. Well, what's it telling us? It's telling us that Peter knew the scriptures. He, he, he didn't read them because he probably couldn't read, but somebody told him them. He'd listened and understood. He took to himself the words that were being taught from the Old Testament. But these words are familiar, aren't they? Hang on a minute. Just think about this for a minute. Haven't I heard these words somewhere before? It's not new, is it? And I'll tell you why that is. It's because they're the words of Jesus. And you can find them in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, verse 43. It's the exact same words that Jesus used. Now, in this case, back to Matthew 12, 43, uh, Jesus was talking about false teachers. And he was talking about the Pharisees because they were teaching falsely at the time. And he said, When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest, but it finds none. So it returns and finds its former home, empty, swept, and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. So that person is worse off than before. 
That will be the experience of this evil generation. Those are just a few examples of things that Peter relates to what we read before. So let's turn our thoughts back now to to that P word. Uh, The one that I mentioned at the beginning, parousia. Okay, so just before I tell you what it means, keep in mind for a moment that immediately before the passage we've just referred to in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus was speaking about the judgment day. He was pointing out the dilemma that will occur to all people on judgment day. He's especially singling out false teachers. So, you've got the word there, parousia. It literally means arrival, if you just translate it straight. But in its original context, it was generally only used for the arrival of a king or an important person. So it wasn't when your neighbour came to your house, it was when a significant person arrived. So you can see why this word is applied to Jesus' arrival and his coming back, which is going to happen. Jesus went, we saw that from Acts, didn't we? Chapter 1, he's going to come back. Okay? The Latin word for parousia is advent. Hopefully that will clear something up. Just in case you wanted to know, I like a bit of trivia. Now, Peter uses the word parousia because you've got to remember that Peter's letter was written in Greek originally. He uses the word three times. I love things that occur three times. Lots of stuff occurs three times. Three's basic building block. I've spoken about it once this week in the beacon already. So if you've listened to that um, and you're fed up of listening to threes, go out and think about some more threes because they'll all point you to Jesus. So in chapter 1 and verse 16, which we've already read, the uh, translation you'll find in your Bible is coming. And again in uh, chapter 3 and verse 4, it's translated as coming. Jesus is coming. And in uh, verse 12, some translations differ. Most say coming, but some say looking forward to. So we're looking forward to the coming of the king. He's coming back. Peter's talking about the day when Jesus returns to take his people to heaven. And that's, uh, I just use another word. You know, I like to use big words this morning. It's not that big word. It's only got seven letters. But that day is sometimes called the rapture. Okay, so you'll hear that. And, you know, if you hear it, you'll now know what it means. And that's the day that was promised in Acts 1.11. That's what we're talking about, following the time that Jesus ascended into heaven. And Peter was there that day. He saw it with his own eyes. He's testifying to you what he's seen and is true. And at that time, he was also remembering something that Jesus had told him. And you'll find that in the 14th chapter of the book of John. And that was that he, Jesus, was going ahead to prepare a place for us. Now, Peter had seen everything else that Jesus had done, And he'd seen that everything Jesus said was coming true. So he was certain that this that Jesus said was also going to come true. If if all these things have come true and there's only one left, well, it's going to happen, isn't it? Yeah, it's going to come true. 
And again, you see, in the letter, Peter goes back to referring to things like Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah. And these are two examples from the Old Testament of what we call rescue stories, where people were rescued out of the sin and destruction of the time that they lived in. And remember what we just talked about earlier. We went through Peter's life, we said it all applies, and boy, does it apply. Because what happened to Peter? He was rescued from prison, wasn't he? And that didn't just happen because God wanted to bust him out of prison for some reason. It happened to underline the fact that Jesus will return to rescue his people, just as he had done in the Old Testament, and just as he said he will do. So, how do we link this with the false teaching that entered the church? I imagine you're kind of thinking, where are we going? Are we going to the false teaching or not? Because all this sounds good. So, in chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, most importantly, so most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. They will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? So, quite apart from any other false teaching, and there were plenty of them, and Peter picks up on some of these, he's specifically warning about the false teaching that the parousia would not happen. <coughs> now, this was just 60 year, AD 60, less than 30 years after Jesus' death. And if it was happening then, think about how it's happening now, nearly 2,000 years later. That teaching is still in place today. And worse, it's one piece of false teaching which most of us are quite happy to make up for ourselves. We don't actually need someone to teach it us, we just make it up for ourselves, yeah? Because what we say is this, isn't it? We say, Jesus is definitely coming, he's definitely going to return, but probably not today. So can you see what we've done there? We've mixed the truth with untruth. Because Jesus is going to return, that's the truth, isn't it? You can't deny that. But then we've mixed that with an untruth, not today. You see, it's diluting the truth, isn't it? That little phrase at the end is taking away that immediacy, that thought that you need to be involved in being ready. False teaching always includes truth. It's, it's just the way of the world. Satan hooks us with truth, but then puts something else in to lead you astray. Can you see how it's going to play out in your life? Can you see where this is going to lead? Okay, because it's giving you this thought that I have plenty of time, okay? I don't have to live today as though it's my last day, because it probably isn't. I don't have to accept Jesus today. I can wait to do that until I'm a bit older and have enjoyed this, that and the other before I get there. I don't have to live today as though it was my last. But what if it is? What if it is? In, in chapter 3 and verse 10, Peter tells us that the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief in the night. He didn't think that up himself either. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 42. All of it is straight from Jesus' words. Jesus said it, 
and must be right. Now, just in case you're thinking that Peter was only speaking to his generation, think about the warning that he gives at the end of the letter. He says, I am warning you ahead of time, dear friends. Hang on a minute. Did we not read that somewhere before? That's the words of Jesus that we read earlier in Mark chapter 13. I I can't believe how many times I'm telling you these words in Peter's letter, they're just the words of Jesus. It's all Jesus, all of it. So, just to bring that into a little bit of a summary then, the overall picture of the letter. So we can see that the main themes are avoiding false teaching and the certainty of Jesus' return. The difference between the events that prompted Peter to write his first letter and those that prompted him to write the second letter are that at the time of writing the first letter, the opposition was coming from outside the church, but the time, by the time of writing the second letter, the opposition was coming from inside the church. Peter's warning us that opposition will come from inside the church. So what can we perhaps take from this? Think back to the first thing that happened in Peter's life. He met Jesus. That's that's the first thing we mentioned. He met Jesus. He didn't know that that was going to happen that day. It wasn't in his diary. But he was expecting someone. He hoped one day that Israel would have a Messiah. Perhaps he didn't live every day like it was his last one. But he made sure that if the hoped-for Messiah came, that he would be ready. And he was, wasn't he? Because he saw Jesus and he recognised that Jesus fitted the description of the Messiah that he knew from the Old Testament. Now, don't make a mistake here. Don't don't go thinking that just because Jesus was stood there in front of him, that it would be easy to recognize him because Jesus stood in front of loads of people back in those days and most of them didn't recognize him. In the same way, it's true that today... We don't know the day or time when Jesus will return. But we're still certain that it will happen. Now, will you be like Peter or his brother Andrew? Will you know your Bible well enough to recognize Jesus when he returns? Because that's the only way, isn't it? You know, if you don't understand what's in the Bible, if you don't read the Bible, if you don't know it, you will not recognize Jesus when he returns. So Peter had some practical points there, didn't he? Thrown in amongst the letter, there are some practical points. I'm just going to spin through these. There's uh, four of them. Chapter 3 and verse 18. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And in verse 14, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are blameless in his sight. In the first chapter, in verse 10, work hard to prove that you really are 
among those to whom God has called. Work hard. And in the fifth verse, make every effort to respond to God's promises. These are the practical points that Peter suggests. If you do these things, you will never fall away. And the result of that will be that God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, on that day when he returns. Amen. Thanks for listening. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram and at www.coachhousechurch.org.